This is a production of KMMedia.pro. Welcome back to Positive Talk Radio. Our goal is simple, to explore evolving ideas one conversation at a time. So come on over into our world. I know you'll like it, because on today's show... Do you optimistic about life? Do you like to believe that everything is going to be just fine and you're going to do really well? Or do you have a little bit different belief that times are tough and things are tough and we're not going to, uh, it's all going to be all hard and it's not going to be easy and stuff. Well, we've got a guest that you need to hear from today and we're going to be talking to her in just a moment. But, uh, First, I have to talk to Eric. How are you, Eric? It's Friday, you know. Happy Friday, everybody. Indeed, indeed. And the weather is going to be okay this weekend? <laughs> okay. Well, I d it depends on uh, if you think that uh, sunshine and 80 degrees is great uh, for this part of September. And I definitely do. So I'm going to upgrade <laughs> it from okay to great. Awesome that that I had no idea. I've, I'm still in my little cave, uh, doing my shows and stuff, and so I don't have an opportunity to get outside yet today. So it's sunny out there, huh? It's sunny. It's beautiful. Get well, outside good. when and you can. We can be optimistic about, and we can be intentionally optimistic about the weather this weekend. I'm so excited for that. Fantastic. Well, enjoy it because yeah, that next couple of days, 81 degrees. Oh, wow. And uh, near the, I just want to alert everybody near the end of the show, there's something that I would like to bring up, and I hope everybody will stay and listen to that just briefly, but I want to touch on it. As you can see in the background, if you are watching this on through StreamYard and you're watching it on KK or on Kixie. On YouTube or, or Facebook or any of the uh, places that we stream to, yeah, uh, you can see <laughs> Kevin's got a blimp floating through the skyline of Seattle, wishing him a happy birthday because his birthday was on Monday. And I wished you a happy birthday then, but uh, that was over on our sister station, KKNW. So I'm going to do it again over here on Kixie. Happy birthday to you. And uh, I hope it's been a great week so far. It, it has been. Yeah. It's, you know, it's always, it's always a great week in my world because I'm, like I tell people, I'm not allowed to do positive talk radio and have my life suck. So I've got, you know, everything is, everything works good for me. And I get to talk to some of the most unique and wonderful people on the planet. This young lady is from Texas and she is getting, first of all, I want you to, if you are near a computer um, and you're not driving at the moment, I want you to go to her website, which is theintentionaloptimist.com. And we're going to learn all about her and what that means, being intentionally optimistic and stuff and, and stuff. So we're going to do that right now. And uh, so, Eric, but thank you for taking control of the show and running the place. Always and, a pleasure. Uh, let's bring in Andrea. And how are you, young lady? How are you? I am great, Kevin. How are you? I'm really good. See, I got it right. I didn't call you Andrea. I called you Andrea. I'm just not quite sophisticated enough to be an Andrea. <laughs> well, I just had to think of what I would sound like if I was in Texas, and, and it would have been Andrea. Yeah, I grew up as a Texan. I grew up overseas, but I was a Texan from the day I was born until I spent most of my life in Virginia. So I'm over on the East Coast now. 
Oh, very nice. And you also spent time in Seoul, South Korea. I did. I did. My parents were missionaries. Mm. And so I kind of grew up there. All of my formative years were spent there. And so I still watch K-dramas to this day. Watched one this afternoon. <laughs> so do, do, do you speak Korean? <laughs> What'd you say? <laughs> Just a little bit. You know, Kevin, when you're young, you pick up stuff like that so quickly. And you understand and you hear things. And I was in an international school. So I went to school with kids from 65 different countries. And one of the things we did when my first year there was third grade. And I was the last class where they actually taught us the Korean alphabet and basic Korean language. After that, it was an elective. And I didn't choose to take it electively, but I sure wanted to shop and I wanted to go places. So, um, and we had a woman who helped us out in our home, <clears throat> excuse me. So I got adept at what we called Konglish, which is half Korean, half English, and enjoyed going all over Seoul, you know, and anywhere from nine to 11 million people, depending on when you were there. It would be amazing with that many people in one in that fairly small area. Um, it is. They're it stacked on top of each other. Yeah, well, but correct me, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't want to be stereotypical, but they're smaller people, right? I fit or, in nicely. I'm a petite five one. You know, um, they mm -hmm. are smaller. They're, um, you know, there's this little peninsula that has been controlled by multiple empires throughout the the uh, history of the country and so you've got some mongolian blood you've got a lot of chinese blood in there but um there are some good tall people but overall they're they're more my size <laughs> yes indeed and for those of you that don't know or are not and sometimes i like to throw in a little history here is that korea south korea is still technically at war with the north um but they're in a uh uh armistice period Correct. and they have been since 1950 i think or 53 something like that yes and stuff so that must be really interesting having uh north korea so close when you were growing up was that something they even mentioned in school oh, well yes i was there during <laughs> i was there and i'm gonna date myself but it's okay it's your birthday you know it's like we'll talk about how old we are mine I was last month all the time pardon i date myself all the time because <laughs> nobody else wants to date me so we went there in 1974. And so during the 70s and 80s was a little bit of a volatile time between the two countries. There were a lot of North Korean tunnels found. There were a lot of uh, spy ships kind of sunk, that kind of thing. But there were several incidents that happened at the demilitarized zone that were quite famous. And I remember all of them. I remember waking up in the middle of the night when we moved there in 74, there was still martial law overnight. And so from, I think, midnight to 4 a.m. And so I could, we it's 75% mountain, something like that. And so we lived up on a mountain. And I remember waking up in the middle of night, the night and hearing strange noises. And I looked out and all the way down the road, I could see um, tanks rolling down the street. And this was just their regular practice because Seoul, if you look at a map, is very close to the demilitarized zone. It is not far. So it it was not something that wasn't constantly on our minds. And so if you look back through the history, quite a few things happened when we were there. I was there 74 to 84. Oh, wow. And your parents were missionaries. Correct. And, and by the way, are they still with us? My father is still with us. And as a matter of fact, he's retiring for the third time from the <laughs> from the pastorate <laughs> he's announcing tomorrow he's retiring for the third time 
Um, but you know, preachers and some, there's some mission, some, uh, uh, professions that they never die. They just kind of go off into the sunset. And I think preachers are a little bit like that, but my mother, we did lose her in 2017 to breast cancer. I'm sorry. Thank you. And, but it was, I'm, I'm glad that you grew up in a, in a household with people that were really interested in helping other people. And that's what you do when you're a missionary. Absolutely. And my mother set a really good example in the home because, you know, we, everything had to be made from scratch, right? I grew up with made from scratch stuff when nobody else had it because, um, because in the States by the seventies and eighties, you had canned biscuits and all that kind of stuff. Whereas in Korea, we made our own Bisquick. And so we like made it from scratch. <laughs> so I grew up with all of those things, but she also taught English because everybody over there, they take English, like we take Spanish in, or, or French in high school. And and so they all wanted to practice English and she would use English lessons as an opportunity to, you know, teach them how to cook or to, you know, of course, for as a missionary to share the gospel and that kind of thing. But um, yeah, it was, it was a very different kind of lifestyle. For those of you now, I'm going to try, I'm going to test myself here and see if I get close to make your own Bisquick. You take flour and you sift the flour and then you add baking soda or baking powder to it and salt and you mix it all up and that's your, that's Bisquick. Is that, is that correct? Sure. It's like this specific recipe of those ingredients. I don't think that there was, I don't think you cut the shortening in just yet. You know, I think that was something depending on what you were right. making. Um, a really good biscuit mix actually has shortening already cut in, but I, I think it's just a specific combination of this many parts of this and this many parts of that. And we would keep it in big Tupperware containers. We were very Tupperware friendly. <laughs> well, and being from Texas, you know what good biscuits and gravy taste like. Oh, yes. Oh my goodness. And we have, we have, my husband is still a pastor and every second Sunday of the month, we have a, what we call a fellowship lunch and it's kind of a potluck. And this year we've done themes and we, then at Easter, we do a, a breakfast and that kind of thing. And we have a woman in our church that is a baker and she's phenomenal, but she's from Pennsylvania and they don't bake biscuits. They make rolls and they make amazing yeast roll. She's a bread maker. I mean, whenever Lauren comes in, you know, for any kind of gift basket or anything, it's just amazing the food that she has. But she was trying to figure out a best biscuit mix for me because I'm a biscuit snob. <laughs> <laughs> because you got to have the right biscuit with the right gravy. And my grandfather would make the red eye gravy. Um, but I've just found one recipe one mix off the shelf that actually works really really well and all you do is add you have to add buttermilk to it and then you've got the right biscuit and they're just fluffy enough and they have oh they're perfect i make those on christmas morning so if you happen to own a um a bakery and suddenly you're going to get busy here in a minute it's because everybody that's listening is going dang that sounds good watering <laughs> yeah so, but so it's that's it's an interesting story. I'm so glad that I'm so glad that you told us. But I want to get to who you are today, sure. Um, because you are on in, you call what you do the intentional optimism. Well, explain what that means for our audience. Well, you already asked about my mother, who we lost in February of 2017, and when she died, I was 50. And I had just turned 50 in August and it just really hit me hard um, because I wasn't quite sure how I wanted to 
you know, those are kind of big things in your life, right? When you lose someone very close to you and it makes, yeah, it makes you think. And I'm like, I wasn't really happy with the direction I was headed and I was not happy with my work and I was a, I'm an adoptive mother and I wanted to make sure that the memories that I left my son with, the memories that I leave anybody else in my family or my friends with, I wanted to make sure that they were the kind of memories we want to savor. And so I just started kind of going inside. And I, at the time I called it a little bit of a crucible, just the crucible of grief. And I really just kind of looked at what do I believe and why do I believe it? What words represent me? How do I want to live? My mother was someone um, that I compare her to either a bottle of champagne, if you're familiar, you know, it's like you pop the cork and it's like, and everybody loved being around Judy, but she had to put the, the lid back on and you know, like rejuvenate. But she was also the woman who would walk in and it was like being in cheers and Norm walks in the door, right? It was like, Judy, yeah. And I am a little more reserved than her. I am a little less open. (laughs) I know, but hey, I've been working on this. (laughs) You've been working hard on it. (laughs) Um, I tend to be a little more private. I'm a little more introverted. But what I found was I was protecting myself from other people because we all have wounds. We all have things that we've been through that were hard and that caused us to build up protective walls. And I realized, you know what? She had that true sanguine personality. And mine is not 100% that, but I wanted to, that's how I wanted to live because she savored daily the joy that was in her life. She savored being present three days before she died. Well, Sunday, she died on a Thursday. So the Sunday before she died, we had gotten to where we were taking my son over there every weekend to see her because this was the last that she was going to get to see him and the last that he was going to get to see her. And she was on the floor playing with him. And she would get knee to knee with me and just say, have I told you everything that I need to tell you? And she just lived out the last 17 years, knowing that she would probably die of breast cancer. She lived out those years in a way that encouraged me to take a good hard look and say, am I doing what I want to do? Am I, am I doing even what I'm called to do? What was I created to do? So intentional optimism was kind of born out of looking at that. What do I, what are the things that, that I want to say I live for? And I, literally filled a huge piece of paper with word after word after word and kind of then called them down and put them in columns of similar things and came up with six tenets. And they are ways that I live out my life. I thought it was going to be a plan, but you know, that's how we start, right? We start with working on the outside in. We start with strategies and habits and behaviors. And then we realize, oh, hang on. That's really nice, but I really have to work on myself. But starting with intentional optimism gave me the pillars for how I want to live out the the rest of my days, right? This is, I want to live out being optimistic, being hopeful and, and proactive and positive. I want to live out my days being present, being considerate and generous and kind, being energetic. I want to be joyful. I want to have that excitement that she was able to teach me and and be an example for me the whole time. 
I want to have courage. I want to I want to be undaunted by the problems that come up before me because we have them. Like I had problems with my website yesterday and today it was figuring out some banking stuff. It's like my brain gets tired, but I I want to be resilient. And so the more we fall and get back up, the more resiliency we build, but that's the, the tenet of being courage and then, or being courageous. And then the fifth one is wise. I want to be a wise woman. And for a long time, that really felt odd for me to say, and it felt awkward but Kevin, you know how this works. You've been around the sun a certain number of times and you pick up knowledge. And if yeah. you know how to use knowledge, then that's that's basically the definition of wisdom, knowing how to use what you have. And so part of being wise is being respectful of myself and others. And then the, the final bookend of these pillars of intentional optimism is being that intentional person, being on purpose, having a plan, not being like, tossed around by the wind and not having my wheels off all the time, right? It's like just being willing to say, I'm going in that direction. And if I need to change, I can, but this is where I'm headed and having a purpose for what I'm doing. So that's how I live out who I am. That's what intentional optimism is. That is really beautiful. As a matter of fact, you now have become the poster child for positive talk radio. What That's what you <laughs> become. Because that Everything that you just said is what is paramount and very important to what I believe in this and the show and everything, because I, I know everybody that I've talked to at a certain age can be in their twenties, can be in their fifties or sixties. At one point in time, you're going to say to yourself, why am I here? And is this all there is? Absolutely. How, how can I be better at who I am so that I can be like your, like your mother left a legacy that is going to last for a long, long time because it comes through you. It's kind of, it's going to come through your son. And so, and, and you are going to live that legacy as well. And that is why we're really, that's why we're here mm. is to be kind and to help each other and to live that legacy. So you're now my poster child. Thank you. Yay. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> because it is and the thing is it is not always easy to do it yourself <laughs> it's hard to do it yourself isn't it constantly it's hard and part of what keeps me going and keeps me focused in that area is my son who i i had mentioned a minute ago i'm an adoptive mother i went into early menopause at 37 and so you know i I didn't get married till 27 and then was like, oh, I guess we should try to have children. And then, you know, when a doctor sits across a table in a white coat and says, yeah, you have a 13% chance with in vitro. And, with, you know, it's like, that's not a benign process. And I'm like, hmm, adoption's 100%. So um, it, it took a while, but we believe that God gave us the perfect child for us. And he is about to be 15 and... <laughs> So that's a whole new challenge. That's a beautiful but, age, but it's tough, but it's a beautiful age. Well, here's what I love. With all of this logic that I talk and all of this, these concepts that I have and the philosophies that I have, now I can actually have conversations with him. And now I'm to, this is, it's like a beautiful thing. If I had been 27 when I had him, I would really messed him up. <laughs> and I'm sure that as a mom, I will probably mess him up anyway. But I'm so grateful that I have all of this learning to be able to say to my almost 15 year old son, Hey, the only person you're hurting in science class by not doing your work is you, not your teacher, <laughs> you know? So, um, being able 
to have the patience and the desire to be present. It's not always. I get I get very impatient. I, I like to move along, right? Nothing to see here. Let's go. But <laughs> um, but at the same time, it is. You're right, and it's a legacy that my mother encouraged me to do, and then I want to be able to do that for my son. Do your does your son say the same thing that my kid said to me when I was doing Positive Talk Radio in 2003 when they were in still in the home? They were like. Oh, Dad, maybe you should uh, listen to your radio show more often. (laughs) (laughs) Fortunately, he doesn't. He's just really good at, um, unfortunately, even though he's not genetically related to me, he received somehow my sarcasm gene. And so, you know, I'm from the class of 1984. That's what our major, we were major, we majored in sarcasm. And he just received that somehow. And he's really good at it. So I have to be careful. But I will say, being open and honest, even when I blow my stack, because I'm, I'm, I'm a screamer. <laughs> I'm a yeller. And I'm a door slammer. And so, um, but I'm, I'm, you know, 15 years in, I'm learning to control that. But I am willing to say, hey, I blew my top there. Let's talk about why I did and let's talk about how I can make it better next time and how how we can communicate better in order to not have that situation get out of control again. I firmly believe that even though genetically you may not be related, you have been together for 15 years and that somehow the energy just passes between you and he. And it becomes, he becomes part of who you are. And he's, he's watched your sarcasm his whole life. And he's going, hey, I got to take a note of that. Yeah. I know. It's terrible. <laughs> well, and he also, you know, they, they tell you that when you're an adoptive parent. They'll tell you that even if your child is um, completely different in ethnicity, that they'll, people will tell you, oh, your kid looks like you. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's because what happens is they develop the the same facial expressions and mannerisms that you have when they grow up with you. So people don't know that he's adopted. He happens to have blonde hair and blue eyes like my husband. And so, you know, people don't realize it until we tell them and they're like I would never have known because he has very similar mannerisms and says very similar things to my husband. So that's yeah, what and- you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because he was he was destined to be your child. One hundred percent. Absolutely. And that's and that's that's an exciting thing. And you can and the destiny of all of that, putting that together. And by the way, you're destined to be doing the work that you're doing now because you are in a position to where you can really help people get through some of the guck and some of the mud that we find ourselves in a lot of times. And if you don't have a real positive role model, somebody to work with who can get you out of that, sometimes you spend your whole life there. I'm real quick story. Mm. My mother-in-law was adopted. And she didn't have the same attitude. Now she was born in 1930. So that was a long time ago. Uh, she felt like she was not loved because she was adopted. And, mm. and so consequently, she lived her whole life that way. And rather than putting that aside and saying, I am who I am and I'm a wonderful human being, uh, she was depressed most of the mm. time for her entire life because she told her that, told herself that story and never let it go. And that's what some of us do is we tell ourselves a story that has no basis in fact, and then we let it go and we let it fester and it takes control of our lives for the longest time. And you help people get out of that. I do. Um, 
I wanted to ask you, what is the Maxwell Leadership uh, course? So I'm certified as a speaker, trainer, and coach through the Maxwell team. And John Maxwell is world-renowned for his leadership uh, books and training. I mean, he's been literally hired by other countries to go in and help in their governments to actually create leadership um, development and, and, and to train and that kind of thing. So it is a leadership style. So I call myself a transformational leadership coach. And as licensed by or trained by um, Max John, the Man, John Maxwell team, I actually have the ability to teach. I'm licensed to teach their courses and their uh, their books. And the other thing I'm also licensed in is and certified in is the DISC communication um, behavioral analysis report. And that helps us understand how we communicate. So uh, I work with clients specifically on some of these things. It's just you mentioned self-talk. The main thing that I work on is we start with our core values to know who we are as a person. And then we work on our disc, which tells us how we communicate with other people and how other people communicate with us. It's kind of like learning what language you speak. You know, if you're familiar with the love languages, it's kind of it's similar to that. Or, you know, like I said, Korean or English. If, if I'm speaking English, you understand me. If I'm speaking Korean, you don't. And DISC is a little bit like that. And then we use intentional optimism to live out all of those things with grace and beauty and, and ease. So um, understanding who you are makes all the difference. But this, the other thing that I really would love to point out here is that when we have all this self-talk going on, especially the negative self-talk, what happens is we want to actually a attack the self-talk itself. You know, the the we change the way we're speaking. I am beautiful. I am loved. Those things work on the surface. But what we don't realize is that we have our assumptions, our beliefs, and our conditioning. I call them my ABCs. And I literally just recorded a podcast episode on this. I, I like to compare it to an iceberg. The stuff that's above the water is usually what we can see, and that's the stuff that seems benign. And those are our assumptions. Those are things that we see. But then the beliefs, some of them can be above the waterline, and then some of them are below, but they're all, every single one of them are the foundation of all of that, our beliefs and our assumptions and our in what goes on in our head is all our conditioning. And when you talk about somebody being born in 1930, adoption was not seen as a beautiful thing at the time. It was seen mm -hmm. as a, a charity, right? We're going to, um, or gosh, you see all these terrible stories about somebody being adopted in order to have a farm worker, <laughs> um, you know, that kind of thing. But when we can learn how to understand and challenge the assumptions, that's the easy part, and the beliefs that are based on that conditioning, when we get down into that conditioning and start looking at that and understanding it, that's when we can start making changes. Because as soon as we can see what it is, then we can actually change our self-talk to the stuff that we really need to hear. So um, it's sad for me to hear stories like that, but I do love working, especially with women on these issues, being able to say, it took me 50 years to get here. Well, 57 now, but I love to, to work with younger female leaders who really are like, I have one that I'm talking to right now who has just kind of skyrocketed in her career, but she hasn't, you know, technically she's grown, but she hasn't developed all of the leadership and the, the personal development, the per personal and professional development that she needs in order to do that job well. And so I like to help women in the younger years figure out how to do this so that they can go way higher and much farther than I've ever gone. And I love your metaphor with the um, iceberg, hmm. as you know, so much is is beneath the surface. And I just ask anybody that was on the Titanic. Um, yes, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was kind of like I didn't see that coming, 
because uh, it was underneath the surface and and stuff. So that that's a great metaphor for that. By the way, we are talking with Andrea Johnson, and uh, we go to her website, which is theintentionaloptimist.com. When we come back, because we need to take a little break now, uh, but when we come back, we're going to talk about some more of the tools that she uses, and including this um, this analysis report that she talked about because it can be really interesting you get asked a bunch of questions that you don't think have any relation to anything and suddenly this report comes back and it looks like you're looking in the mirror at it that's <laughs> right if that makes any sense at all but we'll we'll be right back you're listening to the positive talk radio on kixi hey ptr loyal listener first thanks for being in my dream and second I have a new concept in business to share with you. It's called socialpreneurship. So what's that? Well, it's the idea that any company designates all profits beyond expenses to be awarded to a local or international charity or project, which is working to achieve good in the world. KM Media is such a company. We believe that it's important for us to give back whenever possible and to make great things happen. So I hope you'll join us in creating this new business model that will positively impact all of us. In the next few weeks, we will lay out the plan and begin our fundraising efforts. So stay tuned for more details right here on Positive Talk Radio. When you want to say more than words communicate, you can with flowers. Your custom boutique floral studio in Bothell, Washington is anaturaldesign.com, connecting you to nature through the language of flowers. Where your people are is where our flowers are beautiful. Your success is our goal. anaturaldesign.com at your fingertips today. Hey, thanks for listening to Positive Talk Radio. Did you know that we're also a media production company? Well, surprise, we are. We can create all kinds of audio, video products to fill any need. Please visit kmmedia.pro backslash our dash store for a complete list of products and services. In addition, do you need a great voice to add to your own website or any other project? I know that we can add depth and quality to your work. I've been told more times than I can count by many professionals in the business that my voice adds to the quality of the presentation. So let me create something for you. Please contact me at Kevin at KMmedia.pro and let's create something great. And welcome back to Positive Talk Radio right here on KIXI 880 AM. Uh, we also do our show on KKNW, 1150 a.m. during the week on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And then this is a special show that we do in the afternoon at 3 o'clock uh, Pacific time on Friday as well. And I have to tell uh, the audience because, and I may have mentioned this to Andrea, I may not have, but I only allow and book the absolute creme de la creme the very best the biscuits and gravy of the of the the people that i get to come in contact with to be on kixi because it is so special that i get to be here and and that's why andrea is here go to the intentionaloptimist.com and find out more about her and all of her work one of which is that there's a behavioral analysis report that she does for you and 
I have to tell you this quick story is that when I was going into management in the Doubletree, and they, I'd been a bartender and I'd been in management before, but they weren't sure. So they gave me an aptitude test. Uh, one of those, what, do you, what is this person going to be good at? And it was questions that I had no, I, they did not seem to be relevant to anything uh, that I was, uh, um, that was about my aptitude for anything. And so when the report came back, it said uh, that I would be in the top 50% of salespeople. And uh, that turned out to be, <laughs> sadly, that turned out to be true. I was in the top 50% of salespeople. So I was okay. I wasn't great. I was just okay. But then they said, um, we've never had anybody get all the questions right on in management before. Uh, you're the first one that has ever done that. And that also proved to be true because I became um, a manager and then a general manager and a regional manager and a national manager and all, all that kind of stuff because of those, that skill set. And the report turned out to be totally accurate when I had no idea why it would be. And so you're going to tell me why would it be, would it be that there are, th these reports are so accurate? Well, first I want to say there's a caveat that there are a million kinds of reports out there. I mean, yeah. yes, that's hyperbolic, but you know. Um, so if you're familiar with the Myers-Briggs or the Enneagram or any of the, there's a whole bunch of them. And even for the DISC, D-I-S-C, you can find that through any number of companies and they'll give you a different report. Every single one of them will. But the Maxwell report is based on leadership ideas. And so it's, you're right. You take a, a very simple, like less than 10 minute multiple choice test, you know, like if you want to call it a test, it's an assessment. Um, that's the, that's the modern parlance. And half of my people, I have to tell them, look, I know you think that it's too short and that can't be accurate, but, and there is no practice when you take it, that is it. When you take the assessment, that's the only one you're getting, <laughs> unless you like pay for it again. I've had people come back and say, I, I think I messed it up because I, I thought it was the practice test and then it was just over and it was that simple, but it spits out basically a 30 page report that gives you an understanding of how you communicate and how you want to be communicated to. And the Maxwell report actually gives you seven, it's called the power disc and it gives you where you rank in seven specific leadership skill sets. And these are things like relating and detail and persisting. Um, and they're not quite like management. There are no perfect scores because we are unique, right? So it's whatever you answer is the perfect answer. But understanding who you are is very important. So if I had a little, you know, diagram over here, you would see a circle with four quadrants and they are the D um, starting in the top, let's see, the clockwise, right? I have to do this backwards. Starting with the D, which is a driver or a dominant. These are the people who, there's only like 3% of the population, like in the world are true Ds. And these are the people who are very bullet point oriented. They are very results focused. So uh, on the shadow side, it could be that they are interested in uh, the means justify the ends, that kind of thing. Um, but they are, they're very much the driver. If you, if you need somebody to really make a program run or really get a project going, having a D on your team will really, they're not sitting around, right? It's like uh, when I said I was a little impatient, that's because I have a good bit of D in mind. Um, so, <laughs> so first it starts with D, the I is an influencer or a um, an inspiring person. And these are your 
talkative people. The color that's usually associated, this one is yellow. The color associated with the D is usually red. Um, so these are people, a lot of your comedians are eyes, and these are only 11% of the population. So these are the ones who can talk to just about anybody. My mother was a very high eye. She would walk into an elevator, and I kid you not, there was nobody that was safe in there. She was going <laughs> to talk to them. <laughs> nobody was safe. I love people like that. Yeah, and we need them, right? They are the ones that will always do the icebreakers for your team. They are the ones who are going to get your team fired up and excited about things. If you need someone to communicate, they're your person. I'm That is my top one. I am a high I. I told my sister, I said, I'm going to be on live radio today. And she goes, Andrea, you have no, like in all caps, problem talking. You're going to be fine. Um <laughs> But then you have to go and say like the creme de la creme. And I'm like, really? Um, so <laughs> really? Anyway, really? Thank you. I'm, I'm honored. So we have the D and the I. So those are the influencers. The next one around the circle, around the clock is the S, which is the steady or the stable. This is over 70% of the population of the world are high S's. And these are the ones who they literally don't want you to rock the boat. They like the status quo. We keep doing it this way because we've always done it this way. But these are the backbone of your team. Are you familiar with, you're familiar with change management, I'm sure. Sure. Okay. So, you know, on that bell curve where you have the early adopters, those are your D's, right? And the people um, heading up the, the bell curve, those are your I's. The D's and I's are over there. Your S's are way at the top and tipping over. <laughs> Because they have, you have to prove it to them that it's worth changing. They need a really peaceful environment. But if you don't have a good number of S's in your team, then your team is going to be a little volatile or it's going to be a little crazy because the final, the final um, letter in this little uh, analysis here is the C. And these are your compliance or your creatives. So these are everybody from your mathematicians to your accountants to people like Beethoven and Bach, your musicians. They are whatever's left. And I don't do math because I'm an I, um, but it's like 13% or something. Um, what do we have? 3, 11, 70, and I don't know. So maybe 17% or 13. I check my math. Close enough. Close enough um, for government work. <laughs> um Sorry, I'm dating myself again. But here's the deal. We are all, if you look at it on that circle, we are all a little bit of, of all of them. But when you take this analysis, what it's going to show you is where you plot out most on each one. So when I say I'm a high I, my, most of my answers fall in the I quadrant. I am also my above the line. I am also a C, so I have lots of details, and I'm that's why I love to tell good stories. But then my next one is also a D, so it's like I'm talkative. I want to tell good stories. And I really don't want you to interrupt me, right? So, um, <laughs> but here's the thing: when we speak someone else's language, right? I grew up overseas. I know what it's like when you when I don't speak the language. So when I walk into a situation where I know someone is a Korean, for instance, around here, we have a lot of dry cleaners who are Koreans or a Korean restaurant. And I say something in Korean, they automatically, their eyes brighten up and they get, because even if people know where Korea is, and it's a much bigger player on the world stage when I was there, it was still an emerging world country. Now it's in the first world. They're giving us all their technology now, but um, they just, they brighten up. People 
love to be seen and heard. And when people actually, um, when people actually know that you've seen them and heard them, they are willing to open up and see and hear you. So it kind of goes back to that seek first to understand and then be understood. So when we can take information about how others communicate and filter the way we communicate with them through that lens. For instance, I had a boss, very much a D. When he would ask me to do something, I was an operations manager. And when he would ask me to do something and figure something out, I would email him with my solution and it would have bullet points at the top. Here's the solution. If you want the explanation, read on. And then it would be this long, (laughs) you know, but I knew he didn't always want the explanation. He just wanted the answer but I wanted to make sure he had all of the information he could ever need moving forward to do whatever it was he asked me to do because I knew how he needed to be communicated with. And that's what the disc can do for you. That is remarkable because if you don't understand how you communicate and are being perceived by other people, it's real easy to create misunderstandings and, oh, and yes. lack of understandings between people. Absolutely. I There's a retail establishment that I frequent and just, you know, but you go to a store, a small store that's local, enough times you make friends. And the assistant manager was one day was kind of at the counter with me going, oh, I'm like, what's wrong? And she said, just too many infighting. Just that we're just, uh, and I'm like, okay, hang on. And I have from that 30 page report, there's one page that I call the disc cheat sheet. And I have a full packet that's a free download that people can get when they get into my website. You can see the, the, the disc cheat sheet if you want to get it yourself. But literally it's one, there's one page in that report that it's kind of like a crosswalk. If somebody's acting like this, they might be a D. If you hear this from them, they might be an I. And then you talk to them this way, right? I gave them that one piece of paper. They put it up on their lunchroom wall. And the next time I came in, she grabbed me and pulled me to the side and said, it took 15 minutes. That's all. She said, 15 minutes. And we had each other pegged and we knew how to communicate with each other. And let me tell you, it has been so peaceful ever since. And, you know, it just people want to be seen and heard. That's all. And if we're willing to do that for them by taking an, an, a simple analysis to where we understand how we communicate, right? For somebody who's a, a C and they're wandering all over the place, just like me, I might be wandering all over the place telling a story. If I, if I don't have the wherewithal and the awareness to say, I need to land this plane, I'm just going to keep going and you would have to kick me under the table, right? But or, or shut off my mic, but being able to understand that other people are out there listening, I need to speak in a way that they understand. It makes all the difference. And it especially makes a difference on a team. It's a, that is a reminder. You're very good, by the way. Uh, And I just love listening to you. You're so talented. (laughs) It's, it's, it's so much. So I got to ask you now, I haven't taken the test, but if I were to take the test, where do you think I would end up? Um, so I'm going to say that because you're in top in sales, I'm going to say you're probably in the what we would call the top quad, the top half. So if you look at it on the X, Y axis, the D and the I at the top is are, are all um, uh, more extroverted, right? They're more pe- they're more outgoing, and then the bottom half is more reserved. But the left to right, the the I and the S are more people oriented and the D and the C are more task oriented. So because I know that you're good at sales and because I know that you're good at management and I know that you like to talk, I'm going to say you're probably going to fall in the I category. 
I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, but I do like to get information and I do like to have a conversation with somebody that, that other people can benefit from. Mm. And I believe that this conversation other people can benefit from if you go to, um, how about this for a segue? Theintentionaloptimist.com because the thing is communication and uh, communication and listening are the keys to virtually everything, I think. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Uh, I would throw curiosity in there. Yeah. I would throw curiosity. And I think that was what would be what would fuel communication and listening. I'm curious to know what you're going to ask. I'm curious to know what you're going to say. I'm curious to know why you gave that answer. <laughs> um, and to be willing to to take the time to be curious and get out of our own minds and sit there and listen to another person that gives us the opportunity to build a bridge. It gives us the opportunity to come to a consensus. It gives us the opportunity to collaborate. All of that is what makes things happen. That's what makes your boat go faster. That's what makes your team run more smoothly. All of that. Well, and the other thing that you just mentioned is that if people like to be heard, they like to be seen, they like to be appreciated as an equal, even if they're doing different jobs. Like you're an operations manager and there was an assistant manager that worked underneath you someplace. And even though they were not technically the operations manager, they still wanted to be heard and they still wanted to be treated as an, as a valued member of the team. And everybody wants that. If you can give everybody a valued membership on your team, you can accomplish amazing things. Well, you really can. And when you listen, you also hear what their strengths are. So I mentioned that this report gives you seven areas where you either, you know, where you plot in specific types of leadership skill sets or proclivities, shall we say. And when you know what, when, like if a manager, like I have a, a client here in town that we're about, we're giving them a proposal this next week to do it for their entire 70 staff, 70 member staff and helping them understand who's really good at what naturally means that you then can put them into or right into their job description or, you know, shift things around a little bit for somebody who's really good at detailing, but not really good at relating. Well, then give them the detailing job. Don't give them the relating job. And if, if it means that you just shuffle things around a little bit in order to let people work within their strength, they're going to be happier. They're going to be more satisfied. You're going to have a lot more employee engagement because because people are working within the things that come naturally to them. And I grew up in a time when literally we were told, you have to work on your weaknesses. And, you know, I don't know that I do. <laughs> I think, I think, I think I can augment my recent, my weaknesses. I think that on a team, I can shine in this area. And truly, it may be depending on your job. If you're a general manager, you need to be able to relate to people. So that's something you might want to work on. But most people within a team, if you can just augment the things that are they're not, that is not their strength and put them in a position where their strength can shine, everything is going to run more smoothly and you're going to have a team that sticks together. Because, you know, culture is the name of the game right now, Kevin. It just, people don't leave jobs for, because they don't get enough money. I mean, they might, but most of the time they'll stick in a job with not enough money if they have a good culture and they have a good team. Isn't the, the job or the money thing like sixth or seventh and job satisfaction no, yes. is, like, is like number one? 
Yes. And being part of the community is like way up there and all that kind of stuff. Cause it's, it really is, it really is important that people feel seen and part of the community and all of that. And because if you don't, there's, you know, one of the, things, in my career, one of the things that used to happen a lot was when we had an opening for a manager, somebody would say, well, you know, like a sales manager, be like, well, let's promote our number one salesman. And it's like, please do not. It's, it's like, why would you do two things? Why would you number one, take your number one salesman out of circulation? Cause he's your number one guy and mm -hmm. put him in a job that not only is he not suited for, he probably will hate. And the people will hate working for him because being a top sales guy in his world is easy. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so, so I'm glad that you agree with that assessment I just gave. Well, I spent 23 years in university medical situations. And, you know, so I spent 11 and a half years at one and 11 and a half years at another, both very prestigious universities. And I watched the same thing happen because that's, we're not really taught how to do leadership. We're just right. not. We're taught how to manage, which is, and I know you, we use that title a lot, but it doesn't sound to me like you manage because the definition of manage is to keep the status quo. When we use it in a negative term or a negative connotation, we say, I'm going to manage my anxiety or I'm going to manage this situation. That means we're going to keep it down. We're going to make sure that it doesn't get too big. But when we talk about managing people, that sounds terrible. We don't want to keep people down. And make sure they don't get too big you know from where i'm from we don't we don't want anybody to get too big for their britches but you know still you if you're when when you are a leader you really do want to have people grow and you want to promote them and if you want to promote from within that's phenomenal but make sure you've trained them up into a job that they can do because in a lot of university systems it's like well who's been here the longest <laughs> Like, well, maybe there's a reason they've been in that job the longest. And but then if you're going to do that, you've got to invest in training them to be the kind of leader you need them to be in that job. Otherwise, everybody's going to fail. I've watched entire teams walk out the door. I I have too. I have too. And I was in the restaurant business. Okay. And, right. and so I, I've, there were two positions that I considered very, very valuable. One, it was the hostess position or host position. And the other one was the dishwasher position. Mm -hmm. And somebody would say, dishwasher position, they make the least, it's the dirtiest job. They're not, but they're the ones who become great cooks when, mm -hmm. when they have the opportunity. And hostesses, because they know how to talk to people, become great waiters. And waitresses, once they're taught properly, mm -hmm. have to do mm -hmm. jobs. So it's not like you hire from the top, you hire from the bottom and train them up. I'm a fan of the farm system, the farm team system, right? In baseball, it's like, that's got, that's the best training from the bottom up that I can give as an example. It really is. And, uh, uh, by the way, you are just, you're coming back on the show, aren't you? I'm coming back on the podcast. Yes. Yes. We've booked you again for the podcast because this is, we, we've run out. We've run out of time again. I hate it when that happens. See, my sister was right. I can talk. <laughs> Yeah, but but the thing is, the difference is, not only can you talk, you have something meaningful to say that Thank can you. possibly impact people in a really, really positive way. Thank you very much. And I want people to contact you directly. How do they do that? Well, if you really want to contact me directly, you can email me at Andrea at theintentionaloptimist.com.
and I will get that. You can find me on any of the social media at The Intentional Optimist. You can DM me or, you know, in, in any of the, the platforms, but through my website as well, there's a contact form. So please reach out. And if you reach out in Korean, she'll act even faster. <laughs> I'll translate it. I don't read it very well. <laughs> oh, well, you know, but you speak it really, really well. So <laughs> I imagine that when, to follow up on what you said before, when you do go to a, um, a Korean restaurant that you are the hit of the parade, uh, they're all excited to talk to you. They really enjoy it when somebody comes in and speaks their language. My parents took a couple of years at language school at the Yonsei University. And so they speak it very quite, my, my dad especially now still speaks it quite fluently. But for some reason, growing up, hearing it young, my pronunciation makes it sound like I actually speak it really well. So I get in trouble really quickly. <laughs> have, have you ever been in a situation where you have two people speaking in Korean and they're talking about like your table or your or the folks that you're around and they're saying derogatory things? and then you answer them in Korean? Uh, no, I, I don't know it quite that well. <laughs> <laughs> I can recognize little words, but I don't know it quite that well. Oh, but so I want to thank you so much for being here. It's, it, this, is, this has been a, a, it's really a delight for me. Thank you. Um, it's been my privilege. And I also want to um, mention real quickly, because we just have a couple of minutes left. Before we started the show, and, and my birthday is September 11th, and I was watching YouTube and Eric, you're welcome to join us if you'd like. Um, I was watching YouTube and did, did you ever watch um, uh, Regis and Kathy Lee? I, I remember it back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, Andrea, do you remember that? Um, I do remember it. it. It was on when I was at work, but yeah, I remember. Yes. I mostly remember don't... Dana Carvey's impression, uh, impression of Regis. <laughs> you're ready for yeah. this. Remember that? <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Well, and I invite everybody, especially if you're of a certain age and you're younger, go to YouTube because they have a five-minute clip of the opening of the um, Regis and Kathy Lee show from 9-11-2001. And it, that's right. At, their show started right when the um, planes hit the towers and it's really heartfelt. You can hear the audience gasp. And Kathy Lee actually had to walk off the stage. I want everybody, uh, you know, it's been 23 years and a lot of people are 22. About it. Has it been 22? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you don't do math either? I didn't do math either. I didn't graduate that way. And uh, But I just wanted everybody to you know, think about it when we get to 9-11 and to think about what it meant for our country and stuff and and uh um and go watch that youtube video it was uh it really is heartfelt and you could just feel the 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 humanity in those people in the audience and with uh, that were on stage about uh, something that was so horrific that happened and a third of our country doesn't even remember it because they weren't here then and so it's easy to sugarcoat it or to think of it less than than the actual event but it was a big deal um at the at the time and still should be a big deal and so i'll leave that there unless eric you've got something to add or no i i just i'd love to see some of that unity that uh we felt uh, around um you know in 2001 uh in the country again you know Maybe not some of the, the downside, you know, where we maybe passed some questionable laws or maybe had some, you know, prejudice that we didn't need to have. 
Um, but the the positive stuff, you know, the the unity, the feeling of like let's band together and you know let's um, you know let let let's do things for the good of the country and for the good of humanity. And we can get through it yeah. together. It's the only way we can. Exactly. Um, I'd like to thank both of you for Eric. That was a wonderful thing to say. Andrea, thank you so much for being here. Go to the intentionaloptimist.com, get all of her information. And I just want to say thank you to you guys. And by the way, be kind to one another because each other's all we've got. We'll see you next time, which is Monday on KKNW. 